0: The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, very nice to take the uh, three refuges and five precepts and do a bit of chanting. It's a great way to, you know, bring us together. We always have, these days we have icebreakers, This is our icebreaker. A Buddhist icebreaker is uh, taking the three refuges and the five precepts and doing the chanting too. But it's a much better icebreaker because it's very meaningful and it has a very important um, impact on our lives, the way we live, especially taking the three refuges and the five precepts. So I'd like to just first introduce myself for the people who are tuning in and live streaming. Welcome. Good morning. Here we are, um, that uh, my name is Ajahn Nisarano. And uh, most people here are probably hardly sick of hearing this section. So what? <laughs> and I'm an Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Brahm, so in Western Australia in 1998 for my full ordination. So this year is my 22nd year. Uh, 22nd, we say, rains retreat usually. And for the last 13 and a half years of that, Almost uh, 14 in March, I have been living mainly in Sri Lanka and visiting Australia. The visits to Australia are getting more frequent. <laughs> and I always enjoy coming back because um, I was a layperson here, I was a member of the Buddhist Society before I ordained in the 1990s. So it's a sense of connection. And I'm seeing, you know, uh, Old friends, it's always nice to meet old Dhamma friends. And we are, we're all getting older, myself included. <laughs> so, but today's uh, Dhamma talk, uh, as usual, I like to, this is very customary in Buddhist countries, they chant a, they call it a gatha or verses, and then they uh, explain or expound those verses. So I'll, I'll do this and uh, it's quite useful because it introduces the subject uh, for today's talk. Susukam vata jivama ye san no nati kinshanang piti bakavisama deva abhasarayata. So there we are. Any Pali scholars here? There probably are. (laughs) This is in the uh, Buddhist uh, the language that the Buddhist texts uh, are recorded in Pali. So the meaning of that, and this is quite a nice translation, is uh, ah, so happily we live, we who have no attachments. We shall feast on joy as do the radiant gods. These are heavenly beings. And actually when the Buddha says we have no attachments, it's actually uh, for one who has nothing, one who has nothing. So that's a, that's they've translated that as attachment. No nati Kinchanang, so that's... My pālī is pretty rusty, but I can recognise this. <laughs> Very good. So, does anybody know what I'm going to talk about today? Do I know? <laughs> uh, it's pretty. Uh, the focus will be, of course, you know, part of what the Buddha mentions there. Uh, we shall feast on joy, and this, even in the uh, Dhammapada, this is this verse. These verses. This verse comes from the Dhammapada. Which is these uh, um, verses that uh, of the Buddha's teachings. And they're wonderful verses, a lovely summary of the teachings. And they draw a lot into them. You can uh, certainly um, uh, read a lot into them. And this this one, the story that goes with this one, evidently, I haven't checked it up again, but as I remember, the Buddha went for uh, um, his arms around. This is where he's collecting food in the morning. And he went to this Brahmin village and he got absolutely nothing <laughs> incredible isn't it a buddha could get nothing it's just amazing and uh, and then he he made he, he exclaimed this verse so instead of eating the alms fruit he was going to feast on joy he was going to live on the joy and this is uh, joy is actually a very important part in our lives And that's what I would like to talk about today and talk about joy in terms of meditation and hopefully just at the end, I think it is, we have a little meditation on mudita. This is the focus. This week it has been the focus. I gave the Monday night meditation Uh, evening. The focus was on mudita, guided meditation. And yesterday (laughs) I also mentioned mudita. So do people know what mudita is? Have they heard of it? It's uh, yes, I think many of you have. It's joy. I translate it as joy with others. Either their successes or their good qualities. I usually focus on the good qualities. Those successes can be good. And it's not only other people, it can be ourselves as well. So it includes it can include us too. And there's one one book that I really like that's it's got a very good title. Many some of you may know it and it's called A Thousand Names for Joy. Isn't that a good title? A thousand Names for Joy. So this joy is a very, I liken it to a superfood because it's really what the mind needs. It uh, gives energy to the mind. It lifts the mind, inspires the mind. And we find when we don't have that joy in our life, then the mind can get uh, negative, can get depressed. It can tend to go towards anxiety. It can also become very angry, we can become very angry because we think we're being shortchanged by life. There's no oomph in life, and this is joy. And so, this is, this is the, the quality that the Buddha is encouraging for us, not only in our daily life, but particularly in meditation. And uh, I liken the, the happiness. We do get joy from worldly things, we call them worldly things, and that's from the five senses, that's for sure. But this sort of joy is more of a spiritual joy that's coming from within. Um, even the joy we experience when <laughs> from the senses, really, that's coming from within too. Those things, that food, that pizza, that beautiful sunset, whatever it is, that beautiful person, is not actually they don't they're not giving us joy. We're giving joy to them in a sense because that joy is within us. So this is. Uh, um, a very important aspect of the Buddha's teaching. And it reminds me, sometimes you hear that, that the Buddha's teaching is so pessimistic, it's a real downer. <laughs> These Buddhists, they're misery guts. <laughs> and they say, why do they say that? They say that because, well, it's all about suffering, isn't it? You know, and uh, how, how depressing, you know. We know there's difficulty in life, but we don't want to hear about it. <laughs> but in fact, if that were the case, you know, that the Buddha only spoke about suffering, yes, that would be uh, rather disappointing. it would be a downer. but in actual fact, the focus of his teaching is for the end of suffering, which is great happiness. And I say to people you know if they don't want to hear about you know uh, suffering, about the problems we experience in life, the unsatisfactoriness we experience in life, not getting what we want in from life, experiencing, uh, sickness, old age, and death. If we, uh, if we don't want to hear about those things, how will we deal with them? And would, how would you feel if you went to a doctor feeling terrible, absolutely sick, really weak, feverish, whatever whatever you were experiencing? And the doctor said, no, 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 there's no sickness, no problem. <laughs> you wouldn't believe him. You think, what help is he? But the Buddha is likened to a doctor, actually, or physician. And, but he's a doctor or physician for the mind, not for the body, and so that's very important that we understand our situation in life. And in actual fact, when we do, it can give rise to a lot of happiness, because the happiness from understanding life, insight into what nature, reality, can bring a lot of happiness. So we have that funny saying from Ajahn Buddhadasa: uh, "Oh." Oh what joy to know that there is no happiness in the world. Isn't that a strange saying? It's <laughs> what a strange saying. People think, God, what's Eon about? <laughs> but but a number of ways to look at that. And you know, and, and it's the happiness of insight that that can say that. But it's the happiness that you know there's no permanent happiness in life. Because this is what people are often looking for, this permanent happiness, this this place we can hang out in permanently, the perfect person, the perfect situation, and that will continue forever and ever. And this is what we're looking for. And of course, the Buddha is saying, bad news, bad news. (laughs) And we know it anyway, actually, that everything is built on change, impermanence, so that uh, there is no possibility for things to remain exactly the same. There's no possibility, given our minds, to, for things, our emotions, to remain the same. So this permanent happiness is not possible. So that's what that saying is talking about. And also, the other aspect to that is, yes, there is no happiness in the world because the happiness is in us. You know, these things out there, they do not they're not pushing happiness into us. Ayakima said, there's no hole somewhere that we can push happiness <laughs> through. It's actually coming from the inside out. We're enjoying, we're giving happiness to whatever we find happy. So that's what the, uh, the meaning I take from that saying, oh, what joy, to know that there is no happiness in the world. But the very important aspect uh, of the Buddha's teaching, and I think you know, this is probably one of the main uh, messages of today, It is up to us what we develop in our minds. Um, And this is a really important part of the Buddhist teaching. He calls it bhavana. This is bhavana. This is development or cultivation. That we are actually, um, we can actually develop and cultivate the mind. This is a bit of a strange idea for many people who are not, say, Buddhists. Because, for instance, they'll think, well, you know, you either have love or you don't. And if you say to a person, well, you can develop this love, you know, loving kindness, they look at you and think, what are you talking about? It won't be real, it won't be authentic. And that's not the case, actually, because we can, by repeating, developing, getting in touch with those feelings, make them almost habitual. They'll come up very naturally for us. And, and all those negative uh, emotions such as anger, irritation, annoyance will be reduced because they cannot hang out with this uh, loving kindness, with these positive states of mind so that is, uh, that is something that as I say many people don't recognise that they have that potential to develop these and I hear it from men particularly they say oh, loving kindness, <laughs> I find it very difficult <laughs> but of course they have it, all human beings have it and the Buddha didn't invent it. It's, it's in all human beings, regardless of their religion. But one of the, the, uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that by not actually cultivating, by actually not developing good qualities in the mind, we can actually fall prey to passively developing and cultivating negative qualities. So people may not be looking after their mind at all, you know, and they they watch things on TV, they talk to people, get really angry and upset, and then the same situation comes up again later and they get really angry and upset, and they keep repeating it. And what amazing, they become very good at getting very angry and upset because they're practicing this, passively not realizing that they're actually developing negative states of mind. So really, the Buddha's teaching is all about to encourage us to develop these positive states, and particularly joy. That's what I'm talking about today. So that we can, you know, reduce these negative states and have a very pleasant uh, mental experience, actually, and develop happiness, which is coming from the inside. One of the very uh, um, important things for me with Buddhism, and particularly when I learned about the jhanas, you know, these deep meditations, and uh, I always remember Ayakima, the famous Buddhist German nun who passed away in 1997. She would say it's that happiness that's independent of the outside world. And that is a wonderful, um, uh, a wonderful way of looking at this happiness that's inside us. It is there for us whether we're experiencing jhana or not. But if one experiences jhana, then that is so, so uh, um, uh, extraordinary. So So uh, um, uh, such a pinnacle of happiness and joy that uh, nothing can really compare with that. And the Buddha said that that state of mind is actually it's not not Nirvana or Nirvana, but it's like Nirvana or Nirvana, the happiness of those states. So. In the, in the Buddhist path, there are many different aspects to developing um, positive states of mind, and I'll just mention a few of them because they're not, they're not the main focus here today. And that first, you know, the, um, this is where you see, you know, the whole, the real, the real uh, focus for Buddhism on happiness. For instance, the seven factors of awakening. Have you heard of the seven factors of awakening? The Sutta Bojangha. And they are the, uh, they're really the blueprint for meditation, actually. It's exactly the meditative process, but more from the emotional side. It's quite interesting, it's from the inside. So it starts with mindfulness, sati, and then the next factor is the investigation of what we're experiencing in the mind. Buddha usually often talks about looking at whether the mind's wholesome, positive or negative this is very important for meditation because if we see the state of the mind then then we can influence then we can create causes and conditions for that state if it's negative to reduce and for positive states to come up and because of that uh, mindfulness and that investigation understanding what's going on in us we get energy this is virya and then this is this next one is joy piti piti I mentioned it in the quotation uh, that I chanted. And from that, we get a state of tranquility, this great sense of ease in the body and the mind. And this can be experienced as um, a very, like the body uh, cutting off from the uh, outside world, you know, the senses going down. And then from that, this stillness or samadhi, uh, stillness is what Ajahn Brahm calls it, because... He calls it that because the mind is not moving. It's just still. It's just focused on this pity, this joy, this happiness that's in the mind. And so this is the experience of that, those states. And then from that, we can develop equanimity after that. We can develop equanimity. And that's this state of looking on. But it's a, it is a, a very positive state of mind. But it's a, a detached state of mind in the sense it's detached, from wanting and wanting to get rid of, from desire and from aversion. So can really see things as they are. That's when we can see things as they are, when our defilements are reduced, when they're they're actually completely gone, great. And also the Buddha, so that's one area you see this happiness, this joy is so important in. Because in meditation, the glue for the mind to um, stay in one place it's not. We can't force it. You can try it. <laughs> it's, very, it's very unpleasant after a while. People get headaches if they try and focus the mind and hold it, concentrate, hold it on one one object, uh, really uh, determinedly. That can, um, you know, cause tensions in the mind. But the glue for the mind to come together, for stillness, for, for samadhi to arise, is this joy and happiness. Because I say. If you're having a good time, if the mind is having a good time, where would, where else would it want to go? It's like if you're having a good time, you don't think of, you know, going somewhere else. You're enjoying where you are. So this is why this uh, this uh, states of pity, joy, happiness, we call pamuja, gladness. There are many many words in Pali for these positive states of mind. Why they're so important? Because they actually allow us to stay within. We're usually looking for our happiness out there in the world, and these are triggers for our happiness, really. The happiness is still in us. But this is the happiness inside, and it encourages us to look inside, to go inside. And this is going to the control panel. So there are also when there are the recollections of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, have you heard of those? We just chanted them. If you've heard of them, you've just chanted them. (laughs) But you can do those and the other recollections on our generosity, our our ethical behaviour, how we speak and act, and also on the heavenly beings. These are recollections. But the whole purpose of them, again, is to develop this, uh, the Buddha says, pamuja gladness, which becomes this uh, piety, this joy, which then becomes this uh, uh, tranquility and then happiness. And then the mind comes together. And that coming together is a condition for seeing things as they truly are, because the defilement's gone down. They are knocked out temporarily. So all these recollections are meant for to bring up happiness for enjoy in our lives. So if you find in your meditation that uh, there there's not enough, as Ajahn Brahm would call it, umph, <laughs> then you know, maybe to reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha are very useful. And as As the qualities of the Buddha, as we say in Sri Lanka, are ananta, endless. You don't have to use the iti piso. That's the same for the Dhamma and the Sangha. There can be many other qualities. Ananta means uh, limitless, endless. So you can come, whatever qualities bring up that inspiration, bring up that joy, that's working for us. And it starts this sequence that leads to samadhi. So this can be a good way of developing more joy in your happiness in your mind. Other aspect too of the Buddhist practice that leads to this joy, this happiness. Anybody got any ideas? Yes? Oh, I thought you were going to say... No, dana, giving, giving. But it's not only giving to monks and nuns, but uh, uh, um, giving does generate this happiness and the buddha said that merit this is actually what i was meaning to focus on was merit have you heard of merit punya this is good karma in Sinhala, it's pin they call it pin um, in thai tambun i think tambun um, this quality of merit as we call it in english the buddha said happiness is another word for merit happiness so you can see that when we, when we uh, are making merit, doing good, whether it be giving, uh, whether it uh, be keeping uh, ethical behaviour, precepts like we've taken today, um, serving people, uh, whether it's uh, helping in any way actually really. And it can be, um, you know, listening to Dhamma. It can be having respect for uh, those that are worthy of respect, we say, and so forth. So there are many ways we can make uh, merit. It's not just dana. you know, we we call it dana, giving or generosity. So these are all uh, different ways of creating this happiness. So if if one is feeling a bit down, I think the very good thing to do is always to to give, give something to somebody, go out of one's way to do something. That will bring happiness to us because usually when we do something kind, and generous um, for another, then it will bring happiness for us. And I say that's one of the best antidepressants. Really, is giving, but also the other side of that, receiving, being thankful for what we received from others, from life, uh, from the Dhamma, from all the different sources, and that that is also an antidepressant. You have in psychology today i know a friend of mine he's doing a gratitude <laughs> journal you know you, you, you tally up how much uh, you were grateful for that day you know it must get difficult after a few after a few weeks <laughs> saying the same thing ditto ditto <laughs> so so uh, so thankfulness and this uh, is, is another way, uh, uh, dana and thankfulness, giving and receiving, but also contentment is another one. But today I was going to talk about mudita a little bit and then uh, uh, do uh, hopefully do a mudita meditation. So this is uh, mudita is uh, a Pali word and it literally means soft-heartedness. Quite nice, isn't it? Mudu means soft, and uh, so mudita soft-heartedness, being a softy. <laughs> being softy, so that's it, it, still got a positive uh, ring, even in English. I think yeah, being a softy and uh, kindliness is, is another way. And when when monks and Buddhist monks and nuns uh, uh, receive food or people offer other things to them, like uh, uh, robes or they offer medicines or uh, accommodation, we give a blessing and we call that the animodina. And that relates to mudita, actually. It comes from the same, a similar word, anamoditi. And it's to find satisfaction in, to rejoice in, to be thankful for and appreciate, benefit, appreciate, benefit from and to be pleased, to enjoy. So it's got a lot of, a lot of meanings. One of the things you see with the Pali language is there are a lot of words for mental states, um, positive and negative mental states. In English, we don't have so many. And the reason for that is because the Buddha was mainly interested in the mind. So there's a, a lot of uh, subtlety in um, the descriptions of mental states, that, which is uh, very useful and very good for meditators because as we develop the meditation, we, as we become more familiar with our minds, we can, maybe, we can uh, discover uh, that the thousand names for joy <laughs> within you know different shades of that happiness but my favorite uh, uh, translation for mudita the way i think of it is joy with other successes or their good quality qualities um, and that's the one i like there is you've probably heard of this altruistic uh, joy or sympathetic joy um, I don't like those so much. They're a bit sort of abstract. They don't have so much feeling to them. And appreciative joy, that's another one. That's another one that people use. So it's this taking joy in in other peoples. It can be our own good qualities too, our own successes. Um, but you often it's um, other peoples and that can be very, very useful for a number of reasons I'll go into. And this mudita is part of, you've heard of the Brahma-viharas? The, the uh, four Brahma-viharas are called the divine uh, abidings or sublime abidings. Nice names, aren't they? They're very nice. And, uh, or boundless states because when they're developed, you know, often we think of metta or these uh, states, loving, uh, loving kindness, uh, compassion and so on, as warm and cuddly, and they are. But they have this potential to become boundless, absolutely all-encompassing. So they have incredible power, too, with them when they develop to that level and can become uh, a basis for developing enlightenment. But I like Ayakima. She used to call them the four supreme emotions. (laughs) Isn't that great? that's what they are because when you say sublime abidings and divine abidings and so on that sounds nice but it doesn't give you quite the feel that these are actually emotions and one of the things we often think well how does the how does an enlightened person feel this is how they feel (laughs) they have this loving kindness and boundless and compassion And this joy with others' a success, with their others' qualities. And they have this equanimity as well. They have these four states. And it's interesting when the Buddha taught these four four, uh, um, qualities, these four supreme emotions, he always taught them together. It's interesting. We only do metta usually, don't we do metta? Some people do a little bit of compassion. And today we'll do some mudita. But they hardly ever do it as a group, you know, as a set. But that's the way the Buddha taught it. So, loving kindness, compassion, this joy with others, and equanimity is that evenness of mind uh, that sees it's a mind of letting be because we know that uh, others, it's including ourselves, really, too, are uh, our actions, the way we think, the way we speak is due to our karma, you know, the past. We've conditioned the way we think. And so this is the consequence, whatever we're experiencing. So this is like um, if the mind is out of control, we're feeling very distressed or whatever, to have that letting be just for that time, to allow it to run, the momentum to run. This is sort of looking on equanimity. And sometimes we find that with other people too, as much as we'd like to help. <laughs> and we can't at that particular time. And then to, the wisdom is to know when you can help and when you can't, isn't it? It really is. But when you can't, not to be burnt out because you can't. You just realize that this person, this situation, their conditions are like this at the moment. But because of impermanence, because of anicca, that will change. So that's the good news. But I'd like to read how the Buddha actually um, describes developing these four because actually yesterday somebody said they really liked. when well, I, I read this out on uh, Monday, on Monday night, because it may give people an idea of how the Buddha pr- uh, uh, developed metta. It's quite different from actually a lot of the practices we do of developing metta. It's very common to develop metta to say to uh, ourselves, those that are near and dear to us. This is Ayakim would say, near and dear. And then uh, um, people who are neutral and then people who are difficult and then all beings. And this comes from a famous Buddhist commentary, the Visuddhimanga. But you don't see the Buddha teaching like that, actually. And I do that, that style of uh, 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 loving kindness, because it does work and it is useful and many people find it helpful. But the, what, the way the Buddha was teaching was much more in an impersonal way. You see, You'll see when I read this so that we avoid the pitfalls (laughs) when we think of the near and dear. getting into the stories about the near and dear, either positive stories or negative stories and all those things. Because when we focus on the individual, we can get derailed with the development of loving kindness and so on. The important thing is to develop that loving kindness, develop that compassion, develop that joy with other success or good qualities and develop equanimity. And then when we have that quality, we can use it <laughs> for difficult people for, or people who are neutral or those that are close to us. So, this is what the Buddha says about developing these four Brahma-viharas, supreme emotions. And he says, one abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise, the second quarter, likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth quarter, so like the clock so above so below around everywhere and to all as to oneself one abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness abundant exalted immeasurable without hostility without ill will and then it goes on one abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion and then with a mind imbued with joy with others success or with their good qualities and then I can read uh, and likewise the second quarter and likewise the third and likewise the fourth quarter so above below around everywhere and to all as to oneself one abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with joy at others for others success or good qualities abundant exalted immeasurable without hostility and then the last one one abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with equanimity abundant exalted immeasurable without hostility and without ill will so that's pretty pretty good isn't it <laughs> it's lovely but you notice that it's quite impersonal, isn't it? It's really quite impersonal. And as I say, I think the main issue with why the Buddha taught like this was to avoid uh, you know, getting caught up in uh, personal stories, personal reactions, likes and dislikes to people, which will tend to happen if we focus on the individuals. But having developed this, the loving kindness, for instance, or the compassion, certainly after we've developed it, yep, can give, why not? <laughs> then then that those people will benefit from it. And also, when the mind has those super positive qualities in them, especially if it's really developed to a very, very high level, to a very deep level, then it's, it's almost impossible for anything negative to really break that quality, no matter what people say, no matter how they are. If one's loving kindness is that strong, it won't matter. One still will just have this... kindness and the Buddha had it so we can aim for this so why do we practice mudita why do we practice for joy that's good good enough actually but when we we, uh, think of uh, focus on having joy with others success and with their good qualities it's like piggybacking on their happiness we're getting happiness from their happiness that's much better than what most people experience when they see somebody else was very happy or had great success in their lives, has very good qualities. Often the reaction can be very, you know, why not me? You know, we can feel envious, we can feel jealous, and this is actually the qualities that mudita is really aimed at. So if you have a problem with envy and jealousy, and you know, this can. Uh, can become quite a severe problem for people, especially if it's in relationships. You know, people can have this almost irrational jealousy of, the, uh, uh, of others paying attention to their partners and so on and suspicion that comes from it. So it's, uh, it's something we need, is very useful for us to develop because other people will be happy. Why not join in? <laughs> it's much better than having a negative state of mind which says, why not me? Why not me? Why am I missing out? And the reason we're missing out is because they've got the conditions and causes to experience that at this time. But of course, like everything, it will come and it will go. It will be impermanent. So when we you know, piggyback on this uh, success or this good quality of another person, then we can experience this joy and this, uh, uh, we call it pīti-sukha, joy and happiness, which we can use for our meditation. And we use in our life, too. So time for a story, because there's no no stories yet. And then, <laughs> and this one is sort of related. It's related, but it's getting joy from a different sense, uh, as you'll see. It's a Nazarudin story. I have to have one, <laughs> at least one. I think the last talk I gave had three or, or so. Probably a bit excessive. But in this case, a Nazarudin had... Uh, he had a donkey and this donkey was not only was it a friend it was his main um, uh, vehicle as it were his main transport it was also the way he made his livelihood because he could take things to market on the donkey so the donkey was very important very valuable to him and one day the donkey went missing which was a great suffering for Nasruddin and so the villagers are very kind actually and they said, oh, we'll go and have a look for the donkey and they looked, they spent the whole day looking for this donkey went into the, probably the desert <laughs> anyway, they went into wherever and they couldn't find the donkey they looked everywhere and they came back, told Nasruddin look, the donkey's gone for good <laughs> everything has gone for good we, we couldn't find it we've searched quite a long way from the village so Nasruddin heard this And they thought, wow, this is going to be great suffering for Nazarudin. But that night, as it was getting dark, they could hear Nazarudin exclaiming loudly in the the centre of the village, maybe it's the square, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the villagers, they came out, they thought, he must have gone mad. (laughs) He's just lost his donkey. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And they said to Nazarudin, Nazaruddin, what's up? What's wrong? Have you gone mad? He said, no, he said, I'm just so thankful. I wasn't on the donkey when it got lost. <laughs> so he was actually thanking God, actually, I think, in that case. But, that's, but that's, uh, that's so, it just shows, actually, that's really positive thinking, isn't it? That's what I thought when I read that. I thought, wow, that's really amazing, actually. So this uh, mudita is very useful for us to develop. You know, it's piggyback on other people's happiness and develop that joy in in ourselves as well, rather than you know. And and sometimes you do see it: people taking delight, or they they're pleased in a way. You can feel it at somebody else's difficulties in life, and that's not that's I call that reverse mudita. You know, it's rejoicing or uh, taking joy in people's difficulties and problems. And largely, I suspect, so one feels like, well, at least I'm not experiencing that, you know. But probably that's the, the reason, the motivation that comes from it. And, of course, the, this negative sort of mudita, you see it when people uh, enjoy uh, uh, inflicting suffering on other people in various ways, you know, either physically, emotionally, sexually, verbally, psycholo- psychologically, however, you know. And often coming from a sense of power. And this is really, we'd say, mega, mega, mega bad, bad, merit, a bad uh, karma, actually. That, uh, uh, you know, enjoying other people's suffering. The most extreme example would be torture, wouldn't it? That would be really extreme. So this joy is, not, is a wonderful thing for us to as I say, reduce those negative, uh, bring happiness to us and piggyback on that happiness of other people. But it will reduce all the other negative qualities in us as well because the mind tends to be uh, single-tracked. So it'll have uh, one focus and that will reduce the other negative aspects, especially jealousy and envy. And these are things that are well worth letting go of. And uh, not encouraging, not developing, not cultivating by repeating again and again. Because if we are envious, if we have that tendency and we keep repeating it, it gets stronger. Jealousy will get stronger at other people's uh, good fortune. But it's also a very good balance in our lives because of the often negative aspects of, um, you know, news, what we hear about, we, we can hear almost instantaneously. So today we're hearing about the coronavirus aren't we and so when we have this joy it's a balance balance to the emotions that come up for people when uh, they think about this coronavirus and one of the most obvious things that comes up is fear isn't it there's a lot of fear that people experience so I think you know the uh, The physical coronavirus is one thing, but the mental coronavirus is another thing. Creating that sort of fear, anxiety, you know, that real worry. And, uh, of course, we have to take care, take precautions, as Adrian's mentioning, but we should also, you know, take care of the mind, not to encourage too much of that fear and anxiety. Do what we can, um, but not be overwhelmed by it, because that will... Uh, reduce our ability to react in the best possible way when we find ourselves in different situations. So this is a very uh, useful uh, useful way to balance those negative inputs and also that tendency for us to be fault-finding with ourselves and with others. That is a very strong tendency. And if there's joy, that won't, will be reduced. And when we focus on the uh, uh, good qualities of other people, it's... It's a, It can be very uplifting for us too, you know. And it can. Um, we can. You can. Um, you can experience. You know, when you see these um, videos of motivational speakers, I see some of them. Some of them are very good. They're really uplifting. Very positive. You can get a real sense of joy from them. And I don't know if you've seen Janine Shepherd, She's a woman that got hit. She was on a uh, riding a, a psych, uh, push bike. And for um, like competition, she was doing I think one of these triathlons or something, and got hit by a car and then had uh, like six uh, breaks in the spine, and just amazing how she overcame that. And they told her she probably would never walk again. Not only she did she walk again, she learnt to fly because she had this very human response. Because she was sitting on the veranda feeling sorry for herself one day and, and sitting in a body brace and sitting in a wheelchair thinking, well, this is probably it. And uh, she saw a plane fly over, overhead and she thought, well, if I can't walk, I can fly. Isn't that very human? <laughs> and she did. She, and she was a very a wonderful uh, example. And you sort of get this joy, this uh, mudita with somebody that can overcome something like that but we we notice this um, any person that has a you know this this uh, quality uh, that it can inspire as the quality that we see we can develop that's the the main purpose of uh, uh focusing on people's good qualities we can actually develop that ourselves and this is actually what we call a kalyana Mita or mitra in uh, buddhism it's a spiritual friend it can be a spiritual friend because they're giving us the lived example of how you can do it i've seen this in my life many times because i pay attention to that a lot good qualities in people you know they may not be totally good nobody's perfect (laughs) but some people have extraordinarily good and an extraordinarily good quality like generosity kindness and so on and they become a model an example of how i can do it and how we can do it and so this is very worthwhile focusing on because we can develop ourselves because of that and we have you know of course you know teachers my teacher like Ajahn Brahm and Ajahn Jagra Ayakema, these were all important uh, kalyanamittas for me <coughs> spiritual friends for me and the qualities that they embodied are ones that I can uh, I can take on board I can develop myself and I have uh, been very much influenced by them. But here, this I was going to bring this in today because the BSV, we have uh, Kalyanamittas, some of the people, some of the members that were pre- former members, and the present members too, all their good qualities that have been like uh, spiritual friends. They have been role models. And I always remember Elizabeth Bell. She was uh, uh, one of the early uh, members of the Buddhist society. I think started in 1963. Uh, not here, (laughs) and uh, was a president and many, many different roles in that society, in the Buddhist society. And I used to, when I was living here in Melbourne in the 1990s, I used to drive her here because we were here by that stage. And uh, I was so impressed with the qualities I saw, her calm, her wisdom, you know, the way she would reflect on things in a very wise way and her understanding of the Dhamma. And the, this sort of kindness, and very, very—I think most people would say the same—very high standard of ethical behaviour. SILA. really, very, really inspiring. So even here, homegrown, we have you know these people whose good qualities we can be inspired by, we can use as a role model. And of course, there are others that I, I won't go into their good qualities. Hello, Cora. Welcome. <laughs> And there's um, Mervyn Mervin Mendes. I think people remember Mervyn Mendes who passed away in 2011. Elizabeth passed away in 2007. There's a little stone out there with her name on it and a tree. A tree, that's nice. And also um, and Mervyn was a, uh, a wonderful uh, example of somebody who practices the Dhamma. He was great, very wise and kind. And uh, I remember one person said that he was like, the, the first time they came to the Buddhist society, they came to the gate there and he said it was like a, it was a deva at the gate. That was, that was Mervyn Mendes. And he said he, he took him in and they were going to the, the house next door, the sangha house, to, and showed him you know, how to offer dana and all that sort of thing. And, and it was really helpful to him. And he just gave that very calmly, quietly. And that person said, it was like there was a deva at the gate who just helped him. So these, when we think of uh, think of the good qualities of those members in the Buddhist society, hopefully, you know, if we've been here for years and years and years, we're developing some good qualities. We'd hope so. But we also think of Metta. Do people remember Metta? She was a present for many, many years. Incredible. She really was. And she was... She had a lot of uh, enthusiasm and energy for building up the Buddhist society, and fundraising was her big area. And there was Beatrice Rebush, who's, uh, I think her children are involved with the Tibetan Buddhist Society. Uh, not Tibetan Buddhist Society, Tara House, so that's FPMT. And Fred Whittle, do people remember Fred Whittle? He was here too. He's got a tree out the front. <laughs> so may you all contribute to the Buddhist Society and have a tree out. <laughs> Maybe we have a forest. <laughs> forest here, that would be great. And there are others who who are in the present committee too who, who give very selflessly and are very humble with it as well and are kind as well. So now we'd have a, just to finish off maybe just a five minute meditation. Isn't it interesting we can talk about meditation for ages that <laughs> we don't have any time for it. So this is just a a guided, very brief guided uh, uh, mudita meditation. I nearly lost it. Um, So if you can find a comfortable position and adjust the body to uh, make it as balanced as possible and everything uh, well connected and uh, in balance and... Maybe even tuck the chin in a little bit, if you find that useful. And come into the present moment, letting go of the past and the future. We're just here for five minutes. (laughs) And we're just aware of the body as it is. Sense of balance, the pressure of sitting. Just being. Here in the present moment. And relaxing the body mentally from the top of the head to the tips of the toes, just going through the body, giving it what I call a mental mass- massage with this kind, warm attention. And we can develop the intention to have the intention to develop joy with somebody's good qualities, whoever it is. Maybe it's a teacher, spiritual teacher, a parent, a friend, any, anyone. And it can be someone we don't know personally, but we know of. Just thinking of their good qualities or good quality, which one of our, if it's one, getting in touch with the feeling that that brings when we think of their good quality. And maybe it will bring up this feeling of joy, with thanks or inspiration, this sort of gladness, whatever feeling that comes up when we think of that good quality of that person. And we can fill ourselves from head to toe with this feeling, whatever that feeling is, joy, happiness, thankfulness, inspiration, whatever we call it. Filling ourselves, the body and the mind, completely with it. This warmth, this joyfulness, this inspiration. we can as we breathe in we can breathe in this joy and as we breathe out we can breathe out this joy and if you wish you can use a word we can use sadhu on the in breath and sadhu on the out breath or wonderful on the in breath wonderful on the out breath or marvelous or we can use awesome that's a more recent one as we breathe in and out with this Mudita And we can share this uh, joy or inspiration, thankfulness with everyone here in the hall. And expand it to beyond the hall to the children. Further beyond the, this uh, Buddhist society to the suburb. All the, and further to the whole of Melbourne. And to all beings, not only the human beings, what all, whatever beings there are, whether they be animals, insects, reptiles, whatever they are, the sense of joy, spreading it, radiating it all over the world and to all realms of existence. And then we can bring this sense of joy back to ourselves. And have the aspirational wish to develop more of this ability to pay attention to people's good qualities, not their bad qualities. And to develop more of this joy from that and then having developed joy or metta whatever to share it with others through our speech and our actions and we can anchor this feeling of mudita this joy this lift this inspiration uplift this inspiration in our hearts and to remember it make it a familiar Emotion that we develop, we hang out with, we cultivate, we develop. And lastly, we can just review how we feel after this very short meditation. Do we feel any different? Were we able to get in touch with that uh, joy or appreciation, inspiration? And we notice that quality change in our experience. Did it change when we shared it with other beings as compared to when we were experiencing it ourselves? And what were the causes for the emotions, the feelings that we experienced? What were the causes and conditions? And lastly, was I making it happen, or was it arising, this joy, because of the causes and conditions? So now we can slowly come out of the meditation, open the eyes slowly, and move the body to make ourselves more comfortable. So I'd like to finish there. This is a talk on, really it's on joy. Maybe, it's a, maybe, maybe we've got a few names, not a thousand names for joy, but we've got, <laughs> maybe got a few names in there. And hopefully you, with this little sampler, this meditation sampler, that you've got some experience or some feeling for it and that you can use that in your life. That's the most important thing with the Buddha's teaching, is to use it because it's so practical and it's aimed at use. Um, and it's a shame not to use it. So if we have developed this joy in uh, joy in our minds from piggybacking on other people's happiness, this will be something that increases the positive, the wholesome states of mind. We're developing our minds in a positive direction, and not. And in the, in doing that, we're reducing our negative uh, qualities because we're not giving as much attention to them. Hopefully, not repeating them as much as usual, and that way we will find that there's more joy, more happiness in our lives and we can share that with others. So whatever we develop, we will be able to share with others. And so this is something that's very worthwhile doing because there will always be people that we'll encounter that have successes in their lives and they have very good qualities. So we might as well, you know, really celebrate that, not be envious and jealous of of those uh, success and those qualities. And... uh, so I'd like to finish there and wish you well for developing it, myself included. So there we are. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And are there any uh, questions before we just finish off or comments or complaints? <laughs> How dare you teach mudita? <laughs> mm. I did have one for loving kindness once. Yeah. Any questions or just a stretch up there? No. Sometimes people are stretching. I go, oh, oh question. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just stretching. Any online questions or comments for playing? Yeah, yeah, all right, good, good. Mm. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, yes. All oh, right. Is it top one? Right.
1: Top one? Uh, there we are. Yeah, My question is, mm. you can, I think we can be happy for people or have joy for people mm. who have results out of wholesome actions or mm. intentions. How do we find, how, how should we act, react with people who find success in doing unwholesome acts like for instance hunting? Mm-hmm. Yes, How correct. do we feel? Mm. Yes, that's a good
0: question because, that, as I mentioned, some people take joy in other other beings, other people suffering. You know, and hunting is one example of that. They enjoy doing it, and the Buddha does mention the unwholesome sorts of joy. in One of the suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya in the middle-length discourses. But with those, with that, that situation, you know, one could become negative, critical a fault finding. Um, but for, for me, you know, when I see that, I know that uh, we are all owners of our karma, so that whatever we do intentionally, um, from a, a good intention or a bad intention, we'll have similar results. So somebody who does a lot of hunting, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, will say that they, that will be a condition, a cause for illness, for uh, early death uh, in this life or in future lives. And so we see some people come into this life and they don't live for long or they have terrible health. And from a Buddhist perspective, at least, we would suspect, we don't know, we would suspect they've been doing a bit of killing in the past and uh, that's the cause for their, their experience in this life. So that that is how we can deal with it. It's more coming from the, uh, the point of view of equanimity, you know, uh, um, if one can do something about some of these uh, sports, you know, in a wholesome way, you know, because um, in England there's the anti-fox hunting, isn't it? Fox hunting group. And as long as one uh, does it in a wholesome way, arouses, arouses awareness about that, then that is something that uh, is, can be, as long as it's coming from a, a positive, wholesome emotion. Often these activist groups... They're pretty angry and <laughs> they're really fired up. So that's not so positive. But anyway, so that's what I would recommend, you know, to reflect that they are owners of their karma. And in actual fact, when you see that, you know, and I think for the Buddha it must have been very much like this you just, if you, you wouldn't have felt sad, but you feel compassion for them. You think, God, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> You don't know, they don't know the consequences of their actions that will lead to very unpleasant experiences in the future, this life, or maybe in future lives. Mm-hmm. Good. But having yeah. said that, of course, Angulimala was a very good example of somebody who'd killed quite a few people. They say 999, but still became enlightened in this life. Fortunately, in this life, because if he'd gone on to another life, it wouldn't have been a good story, I think. would <laughs> Straight to hell, they'd say.
1: "Yeah, Yes, Stuart. Yeah, thank you. I hope
0: that answered that a bit. I think that's it. yeah. No, good. No, questions. no questions. Oh, you do have you? Lucio. Yes.
1: Um, interesting talk about um equanimity, and uh, I find it just made me think a little bit about. I find it really hard to maintain. Um, okay, let me phrase this better. Equanimity probably between wisdom. And compassion somewhere there. Yeah. There's a equanimity, mm. and I find it quite hard to find balance when in a specific situation mm. where someone has done something wrong and mm. he still cannot take responsibility for. Mm. So, mm. for the sake of this example, would be someone might yell at me, mm. and then come back later on with an apology, say, "Oh, sorry, I yelled at you, but you have done that. You deserved." It's kind of okay, great. I find it quite hard to exercise. Stability Mm. 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 would be an exercise of equanimity.
0: Uh, Uh, It makes sense, but to the question, yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody had just abused you verbally, yes, would that be how to deal with that? Is uh, well, my my first reaction would 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 be to um, to give myself loving kindness and also to see that that person. You know uh, I would usually see uh, I would take it not personally actually o- often you know this is ideally <laughs> you know ideally I would I would see them as you know that are stressed, you know they've had had having a bad day or you know there's something that's really a condition, a cause for the way they're behaving now that has often it's it is the case actually it's zero to do with me or zero to do with you. And uh, sometimes you see that when when a a complete stranger abuses you, you know, you think I don't know them at all. You think, well, they can't be can't be personal, you know. They're just, you know. So in a way, it's really, you know, um, uh, not responding to the trigger outside. That's not easy. The trigger is that person abusing you, and then the emotional reaction of, you know, uh, the self comes. How dare they? How how dare they do that? And then anger and. uh, and uh, a sense of, well, I'll tell him or I'll tell her, you know, what I think, <laughs> and so on. So, you know, that is recognising that that's a trigger, but one has the possibility, you know, with, uh, with as you said, wisdom, you know, or insight, you know, to, to not necessarily have to respond in the same manner. It's not easy. It's not easy. But often for me, you know, if it's not taking it personally, it's much easier to, to um, not react Uh, in the same way you know one can react you know you can say calm down calm down (laughs) but sometimes if you say things like that it just makes it worse it's best just to leave it actually for the time being because you know one of the ways of reflecting that can be useful is that they're temporarily crazy (laughs) when we're angry when we're really uh, we are we we have that saying in english don't we say oh he's mad at me (laughs) that's quite literal (laughs) And that then we see that it's not—it's not something. Uh, uh, I'm not the cause for it. Something, you know, i am the focus. Yeah, I'm, it's taking it out, or she's taking it out on me. But then one won't take it so personally. You know, you can see it as a mind state that's running in the other person. So, so this is, you know, ideally how we can deal with it. It all happens so fast. So it'll be—it's a bit different when you are on the uh, running on the ground, as it were. Yeah. So I hope that was some use. Thank, yeah, you. Some, yeah. thank you. There we are. Now time. To
1: oh, the other thing is be grateful and thank the other person for giving the opportunity to practice compassion and equanimity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's really going the full... That's going a long way. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, wow. Uh, yes, yes. I think that's uh, definitely an elephant stamp. <laughs> That's that's uh, yeah that's very that's that's a very good way to react you know but then it is true you know if we look at our life as practice then all these things are opportunities you know some of them are, most of them are unwanted <laughs> but they do test us and uh, if we do look at you know every situation as being part of the practice it takes that what it does does do it takes the sting out of it because it's not so personal it's actually another way of of making it. Uh, Less personal for us, impersonal. Um, so that's uh, then we can react and or not react in the best possible way. Yeah. So thank you for that one, Adrian. I think now we can. Is that it? Is there a couple of? Because now nearly uh, twelve minutes, too. So thank you for that, Lucio. It's always. It's always good to come back to the here and now the practical <laughs> no, It's not we do our best Thank you, yes first the first question from
1: online how do i be okay with being alone
0: oh how do i be okay with, with being Ah, oh, no that's uh, being okay with being alone the best best way is to develop loving kindness be your own best friend be there for yourself be your own support be on good terms with yourself and then you're never alone actually Because loving kindness, you know, I practice it uh, quite a lot. And uh, when I lived on my own in the forest for eight years, I rarely felt lonely, even though nobody around. So it was... uh, was, And part of that is because of loving kindness. You feel close to people, even though they may be a long, long way away. Um, Often people can live together. And because they don't have loving kindness, (laughs) it's as if they're a long way away. (laughs) They're not in your mind, and especially not... In your mind, from a positive uh, emotion like loving kindness, so I would say develop loving kindness. It builds the connection between all of us. Uh, it's very useful in that sense. Mm. Thank
1: good. you. Yeah, and kindness, yeah. compassion. Another question says, it's more looking for information. Ajahn, where can I find the verses that you read about? Out, are there the red four red? quarters of metta, karuna, mudita, yes. and Upeka?
0: Yes, yes, they're they're actually um, in many, many places in the Buddha's teaching. But that one is from a a sutta in the uh, middle length discourses. Um, And that's the, uh, as I say, the middle length, the the medium sized. And that's from the, I think it's called Asapura Sutta. What's it called? The Shorter Discourse at Asapura. That's uh, number 40 from the Majjhima Nikaya. Number forty, the fortieth talk in that collection called the Middle Length Discourses, I and mean, it's very. Uh, but it's in many, many places, and there's a very nice um, uh, chant that they do in the Ajahn Chah tradition, uh, where they they have a. It's a very nice rhythm. It's fantastic, radiating uh, the four Brahma Viharas, and uh, there's a nice story that goes with that too, because Ajahn Brahm was. Uh, Chanting this at Bodhinyana when they used to do the chanting before he became the abbot, <laughs> they were chanting this, and he completely went into it. You know, went into meditation. Chanting disappeared; everything disappeared for that time. He just became, you know, this loving kindness. These four Brahmaviharas, actually, and the um, the basic quality of all of them is loving kindness. Really, yeah. So it's the, that one, the Majjhima or the Middle Length Discourses, number forty. It's in there, and he gives the Buddha, gives the uh, that that's where that came from. And also, if you have the Amravati chanting book, um, they have they have that chant that I just mentioned. I think they call it infusing, infusing, you know, uh, using the Brahma Viharas to infuse the whole world. And it's a very, very nice chant, actually. It's got a lot of energy. So I can't do it. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank that's you. it, is it? So we can. Yeah. Have you got any more time? All right, just one, yes. Okay, It was a short one. Thirty seconds, as someone said yes. to me this morning. How,
1: how can we find purpose in life even when we know there is none? Oh, that's not possible. That's not possible then, isn't it?
0: I think, uh, first of all, to see that, actually. But uh, the uh, purpose in life is to, to learn, to understand what we're experiencing, you know and to develop that wisdom, to develop kindness. That's the purpose of life. And uh, that's where you know, the Buddha's teachings are so uh, um, extraordinary. Because I remember, I always think of Viktor Frankl's uh, uh, definition of, uh, he says, suffering without meaning, this is what this person's talking about really, equals despair. Suffering without meaning equals despair. Can't make any sense of it. What does Buddhism do? It makes a lot of sense. It's got four noble truths. So it's working from the situation we find ourselves in, which is not, life's not the way we want it to be. But we investigate it, we go into it. And that's our purpose, to learn, to understand and and to have that kindness, develop those emotional states. And if one really goes far enough, to put an end to coming back to being born again and again, which will always be subject to unsatisfactoriness of difficulties problems and so on but that's that's a, that's a, um, a lot of wisdom is required for that and uh, so that that's what i would say you know so look into the meaning uh, that's where you'll find the purpose of life understanding life is the, is gives us the meaning of life we we'll, we'll see um, what why we're here why we're here yeah So thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I'm sure
1: that will be helpful to them.
0: Good, good. So now let's just finish off those who would like to bow to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And you're all invited next door for the
1: uh, communal lunch, which is happening there at 11.